Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. We're doing a short mini-series looking at our vision and mission as a church. And today we're, we're looking at one of the key priorities for us, which is inviting others back to know God himself. So for us, there is a call on us, as Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. And making disciples is giving other people an opportunity to know about the gospel and to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the part of the call on us as Christians and Trinity Church London here in this city. And so we're going to be just exploring this for a moment. And the way I want to do this is just look at this passage briefly and really have our our imagination stretched as to who we might be in situations as Christians where we might have an opportunity to talk about our faith. Because I would imagine that even just the idea of talking about evangelism is a, is a slightly uncomfortable one. Is anyone like just acknowledge this at the beginning of the message? Like you wish you hadn't turned up to church because yeah, you know, you need to evangelize because you're a Christian, you've got good news, but you find it very difficult. Anyone hands in the air? Yeah, okay. So we just get out of that. But what I want to do is simply not lay a weight on us, but just look at this moment where Paul interacts with these non-believing Athenians and see what we can learn from Paul. And maybe as we learn from Paul, we will have just the imagination of who we might be when we're with a friend, with a colleague over lunch, having people over to our house and religion comes up and you sense that like, okay, there may be a moment to talk about my faith. Who is it that you could be in that situation? Because I think if you took Paul out of this moment in Athens and if you placed him in, in 2022 London, sure, lots of things would be different. The language, the dress, etc. would be different. But the same things would actually emerge. I think the same character traits in Paul would actually emerge. These are timeless things for us. And actually, if we can just begin to walk like Paul, we will learn a, quite a lot, I think. I just want to like because evangelism is an awkward thing right if you're a Christian here this is an awkward thing if you're not a Christian here you're like I knew it they just want to bash people over their heads as exactly I knew what Christians are all about when they get together they just talk about bashing other people like you might feel awkward as well most people feel awkward about this idea about being like evangelistic to be an evangelical is not necessarily like a tag that most people want to associate with today let me just say two things before I start. The first is this. Not just Christians are evangelizing right now. Everyone is at it. This is not a uniquely Christian thing. To evangelize is simply to take the good news to the evangel and to share it. Like I, we believe that there is good news, there is eternal life, there is glory beyond these shores and it is found in this good news and the name of this good news is Jesus Christ but actually our culture is filled with preaching and evangelism basically this presentation of this is what the good life looks like this is what you can have and by the way if you pay 29.99 you might get there maybe maybe not or you look Follow this leadership, follow this person, sign up to this, buy this sofa. You all live, look, you get a family included with the sofa that's like happy all the time. And you're like just watching TV and like, it's just happy. 
you know, home is amazing and whatever. Like, there is this good life that's being presented to us. Everyone is preaching some form of good news. So Christians, for us, we need not be shy about sharing our good news. Our culture is actually very aggressively promoting their good news. Why not Christians? That's the first thing to say. Everyone's at it. The second thing to say is, if you're not a Christian here, we, I hope you hear this. For us to desire to share the gospel, the good news, for us is a thing of love, is an act of love. Firstly, it's socially costly because it's an awkward thing. But also, we believe that there is actually good news in the Bible and in Christ. And for us not to share this would be an unloving thing. To make my point, who, who knows um, Penn and Teller, the American showman and magicians? Yeah, are you American? Yes, okay, all right. No jokes about Americans. We love Americans here, don't we, Jennifer? Yeah. This is what he says, and they're not Christian. But um, I think it was Penn who said this. He said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize or evangelize, try and convert people. I don't respect them. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting to eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? It's spiky, but he's not a Christian. If we do believe there is good news... Surely we would have a desire in ourselves to want to pass that on in some way. So, having cleared some ground, hopefully, for us to talk about this evangelistic moment, this encounter with Paul with these unbelievers, I hope that what will emerge is all of us, we just grow into our calling to share and make disciples of, of all the nations. And we're just going to look at four things, four kind of traits that are in Paul as he is here. I mean, just to set the scene, Paul has just fled Berea, where he's been followed by religious leaders who are trying to essentially find a way to kill him. He flees from the north of Greece, travels down to the south of Greece, to Athens, and he has a few days, it looks like, where he's waiting for some friends, he's by himself. He has this kind of weekend away this staycation in Athens where he is there by himself in the city and he's walking around and what emerges as is always the case with Apostle Paul this fairly dramatic evangelistic encounter and we're going to look at four things the first thing is this when Paul was in Athens he saw something that other people didn't necessarily see he says here now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens his friends his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols now Athens even today millions of people travel to Athens to go and visit like the wonders and the architecture and what was there like in Paul's day it was even more so 
it was a, a, a cultural center that people would go and travel to because it was just an incredible wonder of the nations. And so Paul is there in this moment, like dream ticket, potentially. I've got a few days alone in the city. I can travel, I can explore. He's looking at the architecture and he's walking around. And what does Paul see? He doesn't just see the wealth of this city. He doesn't see the grandeur of the city. He doesn't just see the architecture of the city, the, the cultural heritage of Athens. What he sees is that this city is full of idols. There, there are two common, I think, emotions that we can have in big cities like Athens or like London. One emotion is that I think sometimes we can be intimidated by a city like London. I only share this because I know sometimes I feel it. Like the wealth in this city is staggering. Like the heritage, the cultural forces in this city like are so, so strong and sometimes vicious. And there are such powerful... like systems and organizations around us and you kind of walk around sometimes you don't feel like even like literally just everything is so big you can feel sometimes slightly intimidated has anyone like felt that especially if you want to walk as a christian you think like what what, what are we doing here? like is anyone going to believe in jesus today in 2022 we can feel intimidated the other thing i think that we can feel is just amazed and i also feel this we're just like my goodness, London is amazing. Like, it's just an incredible city. Like, it's just everything about it. It's just an amazing place. And so you can feel these two, two emotions. And I, I'm guessing Paul might have felt like some of those emotions. He might have felt intimidated. He might have just been amazed. But through those emotions and on the other side of that, as he looked and studied the city, what he actually saw was a city full of idolatry. Paul was himself a missionary wherever he went and he was studying the places where he was. So he says later when he's talking to these philosophers in verse 23, he says, as I passed along, he says, and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription. So Paul was walking around studying the city. He wasn't just a tourist. He wasn't just intimidated. He wasn't just amazed. He was actually studying the cultural artifacts and observing what these people were worshipping. And so for us, the very first step is for us to see how Paul sees not just the architecture, not just the wealth, not just the opportunities, not just the careers, but actually what is going on beyond that and there is a city here in London that is full of idols. Idols simply being gods that are not Jesus Christ. Things and people that people give their worth and meaning to that aren't Jesus. Careers, money, looks, popularity, status, whatever it might be, someone's chosen idol. There is an idol of choice for anyone in this city. Which is why people come and they sacrifice their lives and their health and family and relationships so that they can get that thing that they desire. London is filled with idols. And us as Christians are called to be missionaries in this city to actually see spiritually how poor saw. First thing, he saw something, he saw idols. The second thing is this, he felt something. Now, while was verse 16, Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked 
within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So it wasn't like, this is an interesting study, like spiritually there are many idols here. When as he saw this, something emotionally was happening in his soul. He was provoked. We get the word paroxysm from this word. This, like med- this kind of seizure, this emotional shaking that he felt inside. He felt something visceral as he saw these idols. He felt something. Th- this is not just being like annoyed at the city because like today lots of people are like annoyed. In fact, annoyance levels seem to be going up. Is anyone like saying like just on YouTube, just for a couple of like searches, like yeah, annoyance levels, angry levels, like people are just ticked off everywhere, left, right, conservative, liberal, whatever your cup of tea might be. That's a very English thing. So whatever your like worldview might be, people are just angry right now. They're like, I just culture is not like I want it to be. I'm going to do a 10 minute video to tell you why it's wrong. That's like, like an increasing amount of YouTube. This is not that. This isn't Paul just saying, this culture is just so wrong. People just don't get it. They're so stupid. I wish they were more like this. And then just go home and watch Netflix again and carry on. This isn't just like getting annoyed. This for Paul is a godly emotion that is born out of the heart of God. This word here that's, that's used to talk about Paul's emotion is actually used to translate in the Hebrew God's holy jealousy when he sees people who are in covenant with him walking away from him to worship other idols. This is a word that's used to describe a spouse when they see their spouse walking away with another man or another woman. This is a good kind of anger and jealousy that you are walking away from a covenant that we were in. And not only that, but you are walking away with another God arm in arm and that is going to lead you to a death. This is a kind of holy angry jealousy that is righteous in the heart of God because he can see people walking to their own demise when they were in a covenant relationship and so when Paul feels this it's not just anger it's this beginning to touch the the heart of God he he is as it were soaked in the emotions of God and the jealousy that God feels for this city Paul is beginning to touch his heart is beginning to break with what is breaking God's heart. And he feels this because he sees that people aren't acknowledging that Christ is Lord. People don't see that, the, that Jesus is glorious, he's beautiful, he's, he's a compelling God. People don't understand that he, in his resurrection, is now Lord of all and deserves all worship. There is this holy jealousy that is rising up saying the Lord deserves to be worshipped because he is our creator and we need this kind of emotion it's more than just like you can sustain kind of anger for like a, a couple of minutes you can kind of even sustain concern for someone's eternal state for a little bit but what will sustain us as a church in desiring to love others with the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually a concern for the the very glory and the very worth of God's and his fame in this city. John Stott, an English vicar who's now passed away, he said this, the highest 
of all missionary motives is neither obedience to the Great Commission, but it's good to be obedient, it says nor love for sinners who are alienated and perishing, but that's a good thing, it says but rather zeal, a burning and passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. He says there is only one imperialism that is Christian and that is our concern for his imperial majesty, Jesus Christ, and for the glory of his empire. It's a concern for the glory of God that will sustain us as we seek to share the good news with other people. So we need to be those who touch the heart of God, sense his heart and allow his heart to break our heart. It's not just being emotional. So I'm not really an emotional type. It's not about just being emotional. It's actually sensing God's passion for his glory. Amen. The third thing is this. Paul went somewhere. So he saw, he felt, and then he went. So verse 17, after he felt this, what did he do? He reasoned in the synagogues and with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So he sought out the synagogues, places where he could discuss religion with people and get an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And he went to the marketplace, which in our day, we don't really have an equivalent. It's kind of so many cultural centers jammed into one. Basically, the one place, if you don't have a phone or text or email or Internet and you want to go and meet someone or converse or buy something, there was one place you went to and it was the marketplace. So you would go down and it was much more than just a shopping center. It was like an ex- a place exchange of all sorts of things, including ideas, religious ideas, ideologies, philosophies. And so he went to the synagogues and he went to the marketplaces, knowing that these were places where he might have an opportunity to talk about Jesus with other people. This point is very simple and it's very practical. But if we are going to take what we see and what we feel and actually bring it alive, we are going to have to find ourselves as Christians in places where we might have opportunities to talk about Jesus. I know that sounds so stupid, like why did I come to church to hear about that? Of course, you've got to... But actually, increasingly, I think it's becoming harder and harder because of the fragmentation of our society and with the internet and Zoom allowing so much distance to prevail between people. Actually, we need to be far more intentional about how we seek spaces where we can actually have an opportunity to share our faith. Like that Monday morning chat. Now, I speak as someone who is a pastor. I only work on a Sunday morning and then I'm out until next week. So obviously I don't do anything apart watch daytime TV all week. I work from home. So with that caveat in mind, like what happened to that Monday morning chat? What did you do at the weekend? And like that suddenly opportunity. I went to church. I don't want to hear about that. No, I heard about Jesus. Like where, so suddenly because of COVID and like new working practices, opportunities are being ripped from us and we're finding ourselves, okay, functionally working, but actually God made work to be a far more than just functionally getting some things done. He made it for relationship and togetherness and working together for the common good. We're missing out on some things. So I think one of the things we have to be as church is just strategic. 
For some of you, now you're not going to like this bit of the sermon. For some of you, it might mean going into the office more days than you would naturally prefer. I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. Because where are we going to get the opportunities to, to meet people? To just to share, to have opportunities to, to talk with others. For some, it's going to mean conversing, like chatting with people who might be strangers. Now, I speak of one who was like born and raised in London, and this is not something that has come naturally. But I married a northerner. And uh, she still makes me like twitch when she says thank you to the bus driver because I can't believe she's, you know. She, uh, but I, I've had to I've had to learn. Like, okay, it's okay to talk to strangers. Like nothing bad will happen to you. It'll be okay. I've learned a lot from Toria in conversing because actually a lot of us we need to go somewhere in conversation. We just need to strike up a conversation. It might just feel like nothing. Just just chat with people. Like, what's the worst that could happen, really? <laughs> if you're a Londoner, you're like, oh, lots of bad things could really happen. Like, <laughs> but some of us just need to like, just go somewhere in a conversation. Like, you just don't know where it'll end. Just be, a ch- just be a slightly more chatty person. Go somewhere, and it might end up in like, a little conversation about Jesus. You never know. What am I trying to say? Just... Just look for opportunities. It might just mean lingering, like after a meeting, or people going out for lunch, just saying, yeah, fine, I'll go out for lunch. And you just find yourself in those moments. And you say, oh, what did you do at the weekend? Uh, watched the football, went to brunch, and we in the church, and uh, yeah, what, what did you do? <laughs> no, no, why, why do you say, I went to church. Do you want to talk about it? <sighs> no, you might want to say that, but... Anyway, this is, we've got to go somewhere. You get the point. Okay, let me move on. The, fir- the fourth point is this. Paul actually said something. He, verse 18, we read this as he says, and he says, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now commentators on this verse think that Luke is alluding to the fact that these philosophers thought that Paul was actually talking about two gods. They, they picked up that Paul was talking about this God called Jesus and this God called resurrection because they did have other gods who were similarly named, Anastasis. So it's like, oh, they're talking about these two foreign gods. So in case you have a moment where you do share your faith as a Christian and people come away confused or not really understanding you, fear not. You're actually in good company. If someone mocks you for your faith, fear not. You're in good company. One of the most influential men over the last 2,000 years, not just on Western civilization, but on civilization itself, people heard his preaching and said, nah, babbler. <laughs> gives me much hope and encouragement but he actually said something he opened his mouth Francis of Assisi some of you might heard he was an Italian monk in the 1200s I found out last week he was actually credited with forming the first uh, Christmas nativities you know if anyone makes little nativities in their house apparently Francis of Assisi started that trend so you have him to thank for that it's nothing to do with the sermon it's just a freebie for you francis of assisi he he is now famous for saying this phrase he said preach the gospel at all times and if necessary use words which to western ears 
Sounds really smart. That's, that's clever. Yeah, preach the gospel at all times. Okay, so my life is preaching the gospel. That's, that feels good. So I don't have to say anything. Only if I'm absolutely pinned down to the office desk and someone says, what is it you believe? Then I may, if necessary, have to profess Jesus Christ. That sounds great. The problem is, it's actually not what Jesus intended for us or what the Bible portrays as actually Christianity. Because Paul says in Romans 10, people need salvation and how will they hear unless there is a preacher who is sent who actually speaks words of the gospel, that God forms life through words, not only in Genesis 1, but right now in 2022 in people's hearts and lives, that light is spoken into lives through the words of Christians. That the gospel has to be spoken, that Christ has to be mentioned at some point. What is Paul talking about? Paul Luke tells us Jesus and the resurrection. It's very simple, evangelism. I, I honestly used to read this passage and I got very uh, concerned because I thought Paul is dealing with Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. In fact, he is quoting some of their philosophers off the top of his head in a sermon in the Areopagus. And I thought, firstly, I don't even know what an Epicurean philosopher is. So like, how am I supposed to interact with philosophers at this level? I kind of thought evangelism was like, unless I can quote some like cultural philosophers of our day or Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, how, how, how on earth am I gonna do what Paul is doing. Has anyone ever felt that? You're like, Paul is just this like elite intellectual of his day. Like, and how am I supposed to follow in this? Paul is actually quite simple in his message because he didn't start with the philosophers. He started with what he knew, and that was Jesus Christ and him resurrected. What got Paul a hearing? Jesus and his resurrection. That was why they wanted to know more. And at the very end of the message, we're told that he comes back to this very same point, Jesus and his resurrection. And what do they go away with in verse 32? Now, when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead. So don't get kind of confused or uncertain or intimidated by these philosophers and what's going on there. Actually, Paul's message was very simple. I believe in Jesus and that this Jesus Christ who was crucified was now raised to a brand new life and that he is now offering forgiveness to anyone who would come to him. It's a very simple thing. Years ago on The One Show, uh, Nicky Gumbel, if you know Nicky Gumbel, who's the vicar of HTB that started the Alpha course, um, he was on The One Show. Not many vicars get onto The One Show, but this particular vicar got onto The One Show and they were asking about the Alpha course and his big church and why are young people going to church and you know, the cultures, what young people today are going to church. It's a very strange phenomenon. Tell us more about it. And he shared his testimony about meeting Jesus. And I forget the lady's name, but she said, because he talked about an encounter with Jesus. And he said, so you, you mentioned an encounter with Jesus. What does that mean? You can just YouTube it later. Not now. I know you can and you might do, but not now. YouTube later. 2012 it was. And he said this. And I remember watching this thinking, Oh my goodness, you're on national TV, 7 p.m., like prime time slot, you're on BBC One. You've just been asked, what does it mean to encounter Jesus? And I felt, you know, like, 
what would I say? Oh my goodness, I, like, I was getting flustered just watching him, thinking, oh my goodness, what do you say on national TV? And you know what he said? He said, I was reading the New Testament, and as I read the New Testament, it was as if I met a living Lord Jesus. <laughs> I was like, oh, blow me. <laughs> like that's, that, that's what you've got. It stunned me, the simplicity of the message. And Nicky Gumbel is an intelligent man. He trained as a barrister. So he had other answers, but the core that we have, the testimony that we have is, I've met Jesus and he's alive and he's passing out forgiveness if anyone would come to him. This is our message. If we don't have a resurrection, all we have is a God who was crucified at the end of the story, which leaves us in the futility of our faith and still with our sins. We have nothing. If there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no point. We may as well pack up bags, sell the equipment, go home, play football, watch TV, forget church. But if Jesus Christ was crucified and predicted his own crucifixion and predicted on the day when he would get up from the dead and if this man did get up from the dead then everything is to play for everything that Jesus Christ said should be listened to everything in this scripture that Jesus Christ should be trusted everything that we have in the promise of forgiveness should be believed in because he was raised from the dead because of the resurrection there actually is hope there is forgiveness of sins there is a judgment day that's coming there is a truth there is a living God and his name is Jesus upon the resurrection everything hangs which is why having done this moment where he speaks about um, the, this kind of biblical theology he comes back at the very end of his sermon and grounds everything in the resurrection of Jesus Christ he says at the very end verse 31 because he has fixed a day that is God himself on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed that is Jesus and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead Amen. so let me just encourage us like when you're talking and the moment comes up and they do ask like what do you believe like the place to start and the place to end is I, I believe in Jesus I met him because he's actually alive today offering forgiveness to anyone who would turn to him you can be calm and you can be confident have you met him if you met him tell people I encountered Jesus. Nicky Gumbel did it on BBC One, 7pm. Do it with two or three friends. I mean, they might think you're a loon. But we met him. And in this is the, the power. Because Jesus Christ, in the simplicity of our message, this crucified God who was then resurrected, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is not a deity that fits into a religious system called Christianity. He is the religious system. He is the Lord of all. He is the King of Kings. He is the Prince of Peace. He is our everything. So as Christians, we start with him, we middle with him, and we end with him. One old church leader said this. 
He said, the only system of thought into which Jesus Christ will fit is the one in which he is the starting point. So don't get confused or uncertain. I can't quote bits of this. I can't quote bits of that. Share your encounter with Jesus. So if it does come up, what did you do at the weekend? I went to church and Jesus encouraged me so much with X, Y or Z. Because you met Jesus, right? You didn't just meet people. You didn't just meet a preacher. You didn't just meet some worship. You met Jesus Christ. He's alive here with us by his spirit. And so we share our testimony of an encounter with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let me just ask you some questions. Because there is much to be taken from this place. There are much to be worked into our lives and like I said at the beginning, if you're a Christian here today and you know you want to just, you want opportunities to share this message. The questions that we need to be asking ourselves is, am I, am I feeling some of the emotions that God feels? Do, do I sometimes sense the, the kind of, the jealousy that God feels for his glory? Like our vision to see his glory known. Does that ever jump off the page and into my heart and say, Lord, this city is lacking in a knowledge of your glory. Does anything like that in your heart just weigh on you sometimes? You're on the tube and just something just like, ah, I just, God. Do you see idols? Do you see them? I mean, that's just a question like, would you be seekers out? I mean, maybe not tell everyone. What are you doing today? I'm searching for idols. I mean, that's... But do you see the idols around us? Could you go to new places? And what is your testimony? What is your story of meeting Jesus? What have you got to share of him? This, 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 this moment with Jesus, I, I, he's provided for me. He's given this to me. I met him this morning. Why not if you're struck by something in the scriptures, not just to talk about how the Bible helped you, but the Bible is Christ's word to us. Jesus spoke to you in the word. What did Jesus say to you? And in all of this, God will be glorified. We have this great confidence. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul unpacks the resurrection and all that it means. And at the very end of us, having affirmed the historical reality of Christ's resurrection from the dead, he says this to us. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, and Trinity Church London, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because we worship a living God, not simply a crucified God, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labour is not in vain. Amen. Amen. Amen.